What's the most memorable meal you've ever eaten? Give you a chance to ponder that for a second. Where were you? What did you eat? Who was there? Why is it so memorable to you? There's something about great memories that seem to be, in one way or another, connected to food. The memories of, of sitting around a table, eating together, Sharing a meal. And, and there's something about a meal and eating together that breaks down barriers between us. You can have a completely different conversation around a table with food than you would have if you brought the same people together and you didn't have the table and you didn't have food. There's something about the food that, that causes us to, to be a little freer and to break down those walls and those barriers that often arise between us. In the ancient world, and, and even in places today, to share a meal with someone, and particularly to invite them to eat a meal with you, was to declare to everyone around you, this is my friend. And if you invite an enemy to come and eat with you, you are making a clear statement that you would like the cha- a change in their relationship from enemies to friends. I wonder if that's not why the religious leaders are so upset with Jesus that he eats with tax collectors and, and sinners and prostitutes. Because it's one thing for Jesus to say, I, I like these people and, and, and I, I came to help them. It's a whole other thing for him to sit down and eat a meal with them, declaring, these are my friends. These are people who are important to me. These are people I came for. And I want everybody to know that. I'm not ashamed of it for a moment. And in that culture, scandalous. So it's intriguing to me that on the last night before Jesus goes to the cross, he sits down at a table... With his disciples. And at this table, they eat this meal together. And Jesus has something to say to them that can only be said around a table. Something about his friendship with them and his passion for them and his desire for them. The NIV uses the term, Jesus says, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. And really, the word eagerly and desired are are the same word in Greek, just different forms of it. It's so emphatic. What he really is saying, literally, with desire, have I desired to eat with you. There is this yearning, this passion in him. That exact phrase is used in Genesis 31 when Jacob and his family is heading back to his homeland. And, and Laban didn't get a chance to say goodbye to them. And he, he's a little bit upset with some things that have happened. And he, he, he comes and finds them. And he says to Jacob, I know you long to be back with your family. I know you have this deep, deep desire to be with your family. There's an aching in you to get back to them. And we know that feeling. 
you know that that you're lonely, you haven't been around people you love, and, and to, have, to know that you might have the opportunity to see them. There is this yearning that wells up within us to see your grandchildren or your grandparents or your children or your parents or your best friend, and you haven't seen them for a long time, and something in you, is this yearning to see them. It's also the word Jesus uses in Luke 15 when he tells the story of the prodigal son who is so hungry so desperately hungry that he's thinking seriously about eating the pig food. And interestingly enough, it's the word used in the last of the Ten Commandments, do not covet. It's one thing to look at your neighbor and say, wow, nice car, be nice to have one of those. It's something else entirely to have this deep, inner yearning in your being to have that car and to do anything to get it. And Jesus says to his disciples, sitting around this table, I have this deep, deep yearning for you. I am so glad that we've had the opportunity to eat this meal together. Why? Well, John begins chapter 13 of his gospel, in which he introduces this evening. And he says that Jesus, having loved his disciples as his own, yearning for them in love and wanting them to know that. And it's, it's not a coincidence that he says this about the Passover meal. This is a meal that commemorates God bringing his people out of Egyptian slavery. And Jesus has talked, said to his disciples and others many times that he is the good shepherd who watches the sheep. On this night, he says to them, I'm also the sheep. And tomorrow, you're going to see the full extent of my love as I go to the cross for you, for us. But as Jesus sits at this table with his disciples, it's not just about this meal. It's also a symbolic act that describes God's feelings for us. It's not just about Jesus' feelings for these 12 men. It's about God's feelings for you and me. Because as Jesus yearns to eat with them and to have intimacy with them through this meal, God yearns for that for you and me too. One of the most tragic things, uh, gut-wrenching parts of the story of Adam and Eve, when you come to chapter 3 and they have, they have disobeyed God, and that night God comes, as he seems to have done every day, to walk with them. And they're hidden. They've run off and, hot and, and hid. And, and they no longer have that opportunity to be in intimacy with, with God. And from that moment on, God has been doing everything in his power to help us know the desire for intimacy that he has with us. The yearning deep in his being for us. It's the message he sends to to Noah and to Moses and to the people of Israel. It's the word of the prophets over and over and over again. My people, come back to me. As Jeremiah says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And ultimately, Jesus is, is, is the moment 
when God says, this is how much I want you. And then he sends the Holy Spirit to be a continual witness to us, to continually speak into our souls about God's desire for us. When I think about that God's yearning for us, and I hear Jesus saying, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you, have this eager desire for intimacy with you. What comes to my mind is is that feeling you get when you're about to do something you have waited to do and you're anticipating doing and you can't wait to get to. And, and the, the waiting of that is, is, is so hard because there's so much anticipation. There's a commercial I saw. Uh, it's for Disney. And uh, this little boy, maybe three years old, go, walks into his sister's room and says, are you asleep? She says, no. He jumps up on the bed and they start talking. So what do you think it'll be like? And she says, well, mom says, it's going to be more magical than we can imagine. It's going to be so awesome, more than we could dream. And as they're talking about the next day, their mom sticks her heads in the door and says, guys, you got to go back to bed. And the little boy falls back on the bed and he says, we're too excited to sleep. And it may sound odd to our ears. But I'm convinced that there is something in the heart of God that so wants intimacy with us. That in the anthropomorphic language that we use to describe God, he's too excited to sleep. Because he anticipates relationship with us and he wants it so desperately. He yearns for us to be in relationship with him. He yearns for us to know his love and his grace and his mercy and to know him. We have a hard time seeing that. There's something in the back of our minds that wants to believe that God puts up with us because he has to, not because he wants to. Something in us wants to fight the idea that that God would ever be really excited about being with us. And yet, over and over again, he keeps telling us that he is. He keeps telling us that that. I want to know you in a deeper way than you can really dream or imagine. I want that kind of intimacy with you and I'm anticipating that and it brings great joy and excitement to me to think about it. And he's trying all kinds of ways to communicate that to us, but we have a hard time hearing it because, you know, we we think to ourselves, I've sinned too much or... I've made that sin too many times or I've I've walked away too much. And we feel like God is probably just on the verge of throwing up his hands and saying, I've had it with them. The same way we do that with other people. I give up. And yet the scriptures tell us that God is relentless in pursuing us and in knowing us and in wanting us to be known by him. It's just hard to get through to us. It, it's, it's as though, it's like when we try to tell a, a little baby, a little toddler, 
how much we love them and how important they are to us. And we hug them, we feed them, we take care of them, we do everything we can, but we know as adults, they, they really don't understand how much we love them. You know, actually, probably a better example of that would be with our pets. Now, if you're not a pet owner, it's probably hard for you to understand. But, you know, if you are, you get it. Our, our little dog we've had for almost 12 years, Hobbs. And honestly, Hobbs is part of our family. And, you know, he's, he's kind of like our third son. They would probably tell you he's the favorite son. And, you know, I, I threw up a couple of pictures here, and I can tell you this. Our boys didn't start driving at this young of an age, I can tell you that. He probably is the favored one. But, you know, we try to, help, try to, to communicate with him how much we love him and how important he is to us. And how much we, we enjoy having him in our family. But we know he, he can't quite get it. He just can't comprehend it. And you take that and you multiply that a billion times and and that's God communicating to us. And it's hard for us to get it, but God doesn't stop communicating it to us. In every way possible, God is communicating to us His love, His grace, His desire for intimacy with us. And one of the ways He does that is this table. This table is, is, is a reminder of God's grace to us, of God's desire for intimacy with us. Just as Jesus sits around the table with his disciples, we gather at this table to hear God's word to us. I love you. I care for you. You are so important to me. I, I anticipate our moments together. I want you. Sometimes I think we, we have a hard time grasping that because we have too often made this table about us. We talk about, am I worthy? Have I, have I prepared myself enough? Have I, have I lined up all the, of my spiritual ducks so that I'm, I can come to this table? And there is certainly a place for preparation. There's a, the, the church for centuries has talked about the need for confession before taking the sacrament, and we're going to pray together a prayer of confession in a little bit. But sometimes we're so enamored with our side of it, and we ask those questions, and honestly, the answer is no, no, and no. We're not worthy. We, we don't measure up. We can never get our spiritual ducks in a row. And that's why Wesley called this a, a means of grace. It's a means of God expressing to us his love and his mercy through Christ. His broken body and his shed blood as God who wants us to know how much he yearns for us. Gives us this table to draw to our attention the depths of his grace. And what's interesting I find is that when you begin to, to... to be infused by the grace of God at this table, the most natural response is to want to open your heart to God. The most natural response to, to recognizing all that God has done for us and the grace of God is to then turn this table into, as much as we can, uh, 
our desire for God. And, and, and as a moment, when we say, God, as much as you want me, I, I want you. And what more, how more open could we be than to simply surrender our lives to him? And even this table isn't just about us today. The table, Jesus sits at the table with his disciples. He says, this is the last time I'm going to drink of the vine until that day. And someone pointed out to me something I had not noticed before. Maybe you have, but in Revelation 3.20, a verse that we often talk about with people when we're sharing the gospel with them and, and, and coming to Christ. That the context of this is that Jesus, the risen Christ, is talking to the church at Laodicea. And they're, they're having a real struggle. They're lukewarm and, and they're, they're burdened. And you know, they're, they're not doing what they ought to do. And you come to verse 20 and, and Jesus says, Behold, look, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door, I will come in with him and I will eat with him. And here you have Jesus connecting intimacy with him and the meal. And when we move on through the book of Revelation, one of the the great images that John gives us about what it will be like in eternity is what we call the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're all going to gather around this eternal table to eat and to enjoy the amazing blessing of intimacy with God. I think sometimes when we when we think about the table, there is in the back of our minds this image of of this of a long table that you might see in a castle somewhere in Europe. You know, you have a husband at one end and a wife at the other end and, and the table's so long and there's so much stuff between them. They couldn't talk to each other if they wanted to. But actually, uh, I think a better picture is just your home and my home. It's just family. Sitting around a table, something like this. The father at the head, maybe carving the meat and and mom passing the, the dishes full of green beans and mashed potatoes and asparagus and fruit and salad. And, and, and all the while, we're talking and sharing life together. Because at the table, there is intimacy. Our holy God wants us to know that he desires, he yearns intimacy with us. And he wants us to understand that so that it gets into us and changes us.